0: We're going to read from the Bible now, so if you've been handed one of these blue Bibles as you came in, or maybe you'd just like to open your favourite app, and dial in James. We're looking at chapter 2, sorry, chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. This of course, has been mentioned, the continuation of our series in James. And now we move on to some very practical input. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word. Those who consider themselves religious, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin, and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. (coughs) What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, And it was credited to him as righteousness And he was called God's friend You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do And not by faith alone In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute Considered righteous for what she did When she gave lodging to the spies And sent them off in a different direction As the body without the spirit is dead So faith without deeds is dead morning everyone
1: we haven't met my name is james lewis i'm senior assistant minister here and uh, i have the big task of negotiating through that massive passage uh this morning Uh, so let's pray and ask for god's help father god we uh we thank you for uh this time together we want to thank you all the more uh this morning when we're aware of uh great persecution that has fallen upon christians in iraq been forced to flee home some have been murdered some have been intimidated into silence and very fear of their lives Uh, so we want to thank you that we can meet in a building with air conditioning and sit on chairs and have bibles in our own language and have time to listen to your word and so we ask that you would use this time uh, to bless us that it would not be uh, wasted or frivolous but very fruitful for our joy and our service of the lord jesus and we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I want to start with uh, somewhat of a confession uh, this morning. Uh, I actually quite enjoy uh, watching reality TV. Just put it out there. It feels good to finally get that off my chest and, and be open about it. Um, house rules, uh, master Chef, um, my kitchen rules. I, I enjoy watching them. Uh, I have this running conversation with my father who says, it's not reality. It's not real. It's scripted and edited. And I know that. Uh, but I still enjoy watching it. One of the things that I find uh, frustrating, though, about these reality shows is the uh, what's called the diary cam or the little sideway comment, the sound bites, when the contestants tell you what's going on in the show. I find it frustrating because... Um, It leaves no room for imagination or or for any complexity in life. Um, So you're watching MasterChef and one of the contestants' dishes is not going very well uh, and they're looking very stressed and under pressure. Uh, And then there'll be the diary cam, the soundbite, where they say, I'm feeling stressed and under pressure. Okay, well, thanks for that. Um, And so you get that kind of picture there where they, they comment on it. Uh, Or it's it's house rules, and they're renovating a room, and it's the last day, they're running through that day, they're obviously behind, Uh, they're running out of time, they need to rush, and then you get the diary cam soundbite, we're running out of time, we need to rush. (laughs) You see, it leaves no room for imagination or complexity. But it's not just uh, in reality TV, Uh, it's in politics and, and government policy. Uh, Really complicated issues like immigration policy, education, health, the budget, very complicated issues are reduced down to a soundbite. Now, at one sense, that makes perfect perfect sense for us, right? Life is complicated. We are overwhelmed with volume of information. And and what we do is we try and bring it down to a manageable bite-sized chunk called a soundbite. But here's the danger. The danger is that we get seduced by the soundbite into thinking those issues, that life, that people with all our individuality, our uniqueness, the complexity of life can can be summarised in a soundbite, captured in a soundbite. We get seduced into thinking that life is that simple. And it's even more tragic when we do that with our walk with Jesus. Perhaps for you, it's that you're catching up with friends and family and they make a sort of throw away dismissive, soundbite comment about Jesus and church. And, and, and you sort of put up your hand and say, well, uh, I'm not sure that's right. And, and let me tell you what I think um, Jesus is really about. And they give you that sort of tired look. Oh, he's not getting spiritual again, is he? Or, or they say, oh, she's not going to talk about Jesus again. Or perhaps um, for you, it's uh, for many of us, it's that our uh, Bible reading is more like uh, raking leaves than digging for gold that we're happy just to skim read passages and just get the soundbite, the big idea, but not really dig deep into God's word. Or perhaps for you, it's that you're struggling with doubts and big questions. How can I trust the Bible? Where is God in suffering? How do I know that Jesus is really the only way to salvation? And you're struggling with that and people give you the soundbite. Oh, we've just got to trust God. Did you see the problem? We get seduced by the soundbite into thinking that the Christian life following Jesus can be summarised, just captured in a neat little soundbite. It's in that context that uh, the passage that we read today is so refreshing for us. Now, obviously, as you realise with such a long passage and all the questions and angles on it, I'm not going to cover everything uh, today. Um, So, as always, question time, comment cards are a great way to follow up on anything. But what we are going to do today is I'm going to seek hope that we'll peel back the layers, move from the soundbite, the surface level down deeper and deeper in this passage. Um, And you'll see if you've got an outline there that we're going to do that in three layers as we go. So first uh, layer, um, it's not uncomfortable or oppressive, but refreshing. See, I think for many of us, as we read that passage, and particularly if it's one of the first times we've read this passage, uh, we might think, hang on, I thought... uh, the Bible says, that the Apostle Paul says, we're saved by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. Is James taking a different angle here? And we are kind of, part of us feels uncomfortable about this. I wish he hadn't put it like this when he says, not by faith alone, later in the passage. For others of us, it, it, at first glance, it feels very oppressive because there's not advice here. James isn't saying, here's some things you might find helpful. No, he's saying commands and warnings. It's to be taken seriously. So we could feel uncomfortable or feel this is oppressive, but that would be uh, the furthest thing from James's mind. He he wouldn't want us to feel oppressed or uncomfortable. Now what he's doing is giving us a refreshing word against fake Christianity, against empty faith. Think of it this way: what's one of the big criticisms people have against church? You know when they're doing their top five list of things that they're unhappy with about churches. Isn't it this? They'll say something like, "Well, our churches are full of hypocrites," and my first reaction to that is to say, "Welcome, you'll fit right in." We're all hypocrites at some level, aren't we? We all say one thing and do another, so there's always room for more hypocrites in church. But beyond that first reaction i think it's actually really exciting that people say churches are full of hypocrites because i think it means that at some deeper level they know that they ought to expect big things of churches because who do we follow not a trick question two thousand years ago died on a cross rose from the dead who do we follow jesus that's right told you it wasn't a trick question and jesus is amazing glorious chapter 2 verse 1 says so it's right to expect big things from churches and that's what James is driving at here Um, have a look at chapter 2 verse 14 he does this very little helpful analogy for us series of questions verse 14 what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds answer not much good at all if anything can such faith save them answer no how could that be? Well, verse fifteen, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, if one of you says to them, "Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Answer no good at all because they say one thing but do nothing. A friend of ours, uh, Trish, had a number of years ago had some fairly serious eye surgery, uh, went very well, but her recovery meant she had to basically lie on the lounge very still for a couple of weeks. Um, and some people at church said to her, can we do anything to help? Um, and she said, oh, no, no, it would be fine. You know, my husband and I work it out. No, no, we'd really love to help. What can we do? Well, okay, actually, if you could cook some meals for us over the next couple of weeks, that would be really helpful. And these people from church said, oh, oh, no, we weren't. I think we'd, we didn't want to do that serious like they said they wanted to help but they didn't actually want to do anything Uh, it'd be the same with our asylum seeker food drive if we said yeah we're really concerned and we wish the asylum seekers in our city well but did nothing then that would be words without action so james says verse 17 in the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead Verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous in a right relationship with God by what they do and not by faith alone. Do you see what he's saying? That faith, real faith is not a tick the box thing. It's not just turn up to church and we, we say we agree some things about God together. But it's real authentic faith. It means action. Um, one of our uh, ministry apprentices, Tim, uh, said something during the week that got me thinking. He said that as Christians in the West, we are very comfortable with talking about what we know and think about Jesus, but not so much on the action. So when we talk about being a Christian, we go very quickly to ideas, uh, things that we we believe and and know, and, and much slower to go to action. And that's a tragedy, isn't it? because jesus changes lives you can't meet jesus and not be changed he transforms our lives we know that in our lives another way to put it would be this we're saved by faith in jesus alone we don't earn it; it's a gift from god by grace but faith in jesus is never alone we're saved by faith in jesus alone but faith in jesus is never alone the Wonderful, natural, inevitable fruit and evidence of real faith in Jesus is good deeds. Good deeds are the fruit, the evidence of true, authentic, growing faith. So if you've ever found it confusing, frustrating or hurtful that some churchgoers can be big on praise on Sunday but come Monday they lie and cheat and gossip, then James says... God says that's not real faith. Real faith doesn't, isn't big on Sunday and forgotten on Monday. So we shouldn't feel uncomfortable, we shouldn't feel oppressed by this passage, but it's a wonderfully refreshing word against hypocrisy, against fake Christianity. And then as James closes out this section, he, he does this wonderfully refreshing thing again where he draws us closer to Jesus together by using the example of Abraham and Rahab. Um, It says, verse 21, that uh, Abraham offered up his son Isaac on the altar. And and verse 25, Rahab protected the men who were spying at the city of Jericho. Uh, We don't have time to go into all the the background of that. You can read about it in Genesis 22 and Joshua 2. Um, But just to be clear, uh, in case you're worried, uh, Abraham didn't actually kill his son. So if you're worried about that. and, And the application we're meant to take away here is not to do the same, Right. So I just don't want anyone leaving this building with the wrong application in their head, going to lunch, got a knife. What are you you doing, Dad? Um, I'm just applying the Word of God. No, I don't want anyone to have the wrong understanding. Uh, That's not the application we're meant to take away from here. What we get is an example of active faith. Because Abraham and Rahab knew a lot less of the Bible than we do. They're appreciation of God's character was less than us and yet they acted. Abraham knew that God is good so he trusted God with his son Isaac. Rahab knew that God is powerful so she ran to him for protection. So they're an example of how real faith is is not just about words and agreeing on some stuff together but action, fruit. And then the really, 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 really refreshing thing is to ask the question, why does James choose Ahab, Abraham and Rahab? Like, like we get Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons, Father Abraham. Some of us sang that in Sunday school. Yeah. And I'm one of them and so are you and so on. We, we get that. We get that Abraham, this great pillar of faith, the, the receiver of the promises, the father of the nation of Israel. We get why he would be an example here. But why Rahab, a pagan prostitute? And we would never put them in the same room together. Abraham and a pagan prostitute. They have nothing in common except active faith in God. Do you see how God tramples all over the things that would normally divide and separate us as people? I mean, have a, look, a quick look around the room today. That means turn your head, have a look around. All sorts of different people. All sorts of different backgrounds, different stories. And, and, and the wonderful thing is that in Jesus, you are not defined by your background. What brings us together is not that we all have the same cultural values or that we came, come from the same ethnic background, but we are united in Jesus who changes lives. So this is a wonderfully refreshing word against fake Christianity and for life in Jesus together. Well that's the first layer and many of us at this point will be saying okay I get that but here's the thing I'm broken I'm sinful I'm always going to be a hypocrite at some level so what do I do? Well the second layer that James takes us to shows us where freedom from hypocrisy is found. Have a look at chapter 1 verse 18 with me that we looked at last week. He, God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might become a firstfruits of all he created. God rescues us by his word. Then at second half of verse 21, it tells us to humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Grace works, doesn't it? See, God doesn't say, I've saved you, now you work it out. He's not sitting back waiting for us to make a mistake and then say, aha, hypocrite, gotcha. No, no, the same word that saves us is planted in us. It's not a dead word, it's not just a list of ideas, but it's a living word that's growing us and changing us. So God rescues us and draws us out of hypocrisy by his word working on us, changing us. Now, that's a wonderful Christian soundbite, isn't it? But what does it look like on the ground in our lives? Well, verse 18 says, humbly accept the word planted in you that's not blind faith that's not never question anything but it's be humble and teachable and then james does this thing that really helps us grapple with this verse 25 of chapter one but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard but doing it they'll be blessed in what they do now why did he do that It's been word of God all the way through, and then suddenly he chucks in a perfect law that gives freedom. That doesn't sound like freedom, does it? It sounds like law. It sounds like restrictions and boundaries. But here's the thing. In our culture, our individualistic culture, we we tend to think the air that we breathe is that freedom is found in a complete absence of restrictions. So, I need to be free to do what I like, when I like, with whomever I like. And if I'm not allowed, if I'm not able, if I'm restricted, then I'm not free. But real freedom is to be more and more the person you were made to be. Set free to do that. Think of it this way imagine a fish in the ocean, swimming around. And then imagine he says, Actually, I don't feel very free in this ocean thing, it's very restrictive. You know, I can only stay in the ocean. So he decides one day to to hop out onto the shore. Is he free as he lies there gasping for breath and flapping, paralyzed on the ground? I mean, no one's restricting him. The ocean's not holding him back anymore. He's not free. He's dying. Put him back in the ocean and his gills and fins work and he lives and thrives. He is free because he's free to be what he was made to be that is real freedom that is real freedom it's why james says the perfect law that gives freedom because the way that god leads us into freedom is not to set us free to do whatever we like but to make us more and more the men and women that he made us to be see a cure for hypocrisy is not shame and embarrassment and a fear of being found out but we find freedom in god's word but here's the thing i reckon a bunch of us will hear that and say yeah okay but there's this thing that goes on in us where we actually see the word of god as restrictive as a kind of oppressive law bounding us in stopping us from doing what we'd like and if you do that if that's the way you think about the word of god then you'll be tempted to cherry pick You say, oh, I like that bit, but not that bit. That bit's really helpful, but that's too challenging. God got it right there, but he got it wrong there. And if we do that, we never find the freedom. We never find joy. We never grow. No, it's as we embrace the freedom that God gives in his word, that's how we become more and more what we're meant to be. So how do we get there? How do we get there? That's our third and final layer today. And I want you to have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. Try this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Now, what's your reaction as you read that? Yeah, okay. It's interesting to transition to the next stage. That's why they put a chapter heading in. Or do you, as you read that, say, Yes! Yes! Jesus is Lord and he is glorious. He outshines the sun. There's no one like Jesus, no one who saves, no one who heals, no one who rescues, no one who rules like Jesus. Look at 2 verse 1 again. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. So why that last bit, must not show favoritism? Because it's not a good idea, because we're told not to. No, no, no. Why is it that believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism? Do you see the question? Why is it that being a believer in Jesus who is glorious means that you must not show favoritism? Why that? See, if we're trapped in the soundbites, if we're just raking leaves in our Bible reading, we'll skip over that. Most of us will have done that as we've read this passage. But when you get that Jesus is glorious, that there's no one like him, then everything begins to fall into place. So those ambitions, those, that selfishness, that, that craving for approval, that, that we want people to like us, and, and so we draw in people who make us feel good or laugh at our jokes or, or we'd like to be around them, those, those games that we play. When Jesus is glorious, then all those things look a bit silly, don't they? They look a bit small. I remember I really struggled with this for years until one evening I cried out to God, Lord, set me free to love Jesus and love people. When we see that Jesus is glorious, we find that freedom. We find a cure that begins to kill hypocrisy and drive away favoritism how do i get that jesus is glorious because as i said we will have read this passage and read that verse a few times and just skimmed over there how do we how do we get to that understanding well it's about digging for gold not raking leaves in god's word have a look at uh, chapter 1 verses 22 to 25 do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues it in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. It's a very clear picture, isn't it? Uh, if I said to you, I'm six foot four, blonde haired, blue-eyed, and the muscles of a first-grade rugby league player. You would say to me, James, have you looked in the mirror lately? That's the image there of how ridiculous it is, just to skim over the Word of God and and just have a very superficial and forget what's going on. But we are to, it says, look intently, dig for gold. So what does that look like? I I think the best way to think of it is this analogy. Very often in our Bible reading... It's like we're flying in a plane and we look out the window and we see this beautiful orchard below and we say, oh, that looks nice and then we fly on. That's skimming, that's raking leaves. To dig for gold, to go deep in God's word means that we land the plane and we don't just land the plane, we walk in the orchard and we don't just walk in the orchard but we look at the fruit and we don't just look at the fruit, we we pull some down and we don't just pull it down and hold it, we smell its freshness and we don't just smell its freshness but we bite into it and enjoy its juicy goodness see that's not skimming that's going deep so it's not being here on a sunday and saying well i heard the sermon i'm done for the week it's not coming away saying well i learned some stuff or that was a good reminder but it's to dig deep, to wrestle, to ask questions, to ponder, to go it over and over again, to squeeze out all the juicy goodness in God's word. It's digging for gold, not raking leaves. This is how we go beyond the soundbite. This is how we see God shaping all the detail of our lives. This is how we find freedom, freedom to love Jesus and love people. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage that is big and yet it just keeps on rolling over us with that call to live an active faith, not to be superficial or hypocritical, not to rake leaves but to dig deep, to go deep in your word that we will be truly changed and yet lord we know our own hearts it's so easy for us to hear it today uh, and and to think yeah that was helpful and 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 then as we leave we forget and we move on and so we ask that for each of us as you have spoken to us in your word that thing that you've pressed upon us that we would be changed that we would ponder it and talk about it and pray about it and see you working those changes in our lives that we would be free to love Jesus and love people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.